0: Good morning, Um, yeah, like um, my father just said, um, yeah, my name's Madison, my name's MJ, whatever you want to call me as long as it starts with an M, I'm good with most of the time. Um, uh, Yeah, I hang out heaps with Revive Youth, we do heaps of stuff on a Wednesday night, um, and I honestly just love it. Some of your kids ask the strangest questions I've never thought of in my life when like reading the Bible, which is also really cool, um, and we talk about it. We hang out, we play games. It's a good time. Anyways, um, yeah, that's just a little bit about me. Um, I want to get straight into the message today. So we're going to start with Matthew 5, verses 1 to 5. I'm reading from the NIV today. Gross, but um, it's a... I, oh, sorry, I shouldn't start this quote about, like, um, translation, should I? It's, it's a good translation. Um, here's a verse. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, meek is not a word I would use to describe myself. In fact, if people described me as meek, I'd probably take a little bit of an offense to that. i will be like, mm, I'm not meek, that's rude. Um, kind of gross. Um, there's so many other words that I rather people describe me as, and I kind of get a little bit morbid about it sometimes when I think, like, when I die. <laughs> <laughs> like, if I drop dead tomorrow. What would people say at my funeral? You know, like, what would people describe me as? What would people remember me as? And I have a few words that I think would be very important, and I would kind of be upset if they didn't get mentioned. I need something mentioned about my sense of humor. I need people to know I was funny, because I am. And, like, (laughs) see, everyone's laughing right now, so that's, like, point and truth right there. So I need someone to mention something about me being funny. I pride myself on it. I need it. The other thing that I need people to mention well, not need, I would hope people would mention about me, that I would hope this would be a true reflection of my character, is that I'm generous. I like to think I'm generous, so I try my hardest to be generous, whether that's generous with my time, generous with my efforts, or generous with my money, even though I don't have a lot. Um, But I would like people to think that I'm generous. Another thing I would like people to think, would maybe that she was a little bit talented, that maybe she was a little bit good at things, like whatever it is, you just think, even if it's weird, you're like, she's good at hacky sack or something. I don't know. Just people think that I'm good at something. And then the last thing that I think is probably in my head the opposite of meekness is I'd hope people would think I was bold. I'd hope people would think I had a strength or a courage to me. None of those things are close to being meek. Let's be real. I don't want to be known as meek. And I think it's because these words that we use to describe ourselves, words that people use to describe us, they old power. The Bible says that words have the power of life and death. And so what we say about ourselves, what we say about others is so important. And I think even when it comes to the word meek, I wouldn't call God meek. I think there's so many better, greater words to describe Jesus, to describe God as. I would say he's magnificent. I would say he's majestic. I would say he's powerful. I would say that he's courageous, compassionate, I would have all these words. Like, I could go on and on and on. Like, what kind of word do I use to describe the ever-present, all-knowing, all-powerful God? I wouldn't use meek. Yet, Jesus uses meek to describe himself. Why? We're going to see why. <laughs> In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28-30, This is a New King James. We're jumping versions all day today. Um, It says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I think that's how you say it. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is tying in his meekness for rest, for our souls. And can I be honest, I've heard this verse quoted a lot, like people are like, oh, yoke is easy, burden is light, I'm like, cool, what's a (laughs) yoke? My immediate thought is X, and I know that's wrong, (laughs) especially in the context of that verse, but I have just never, until somewhat recently, and it's kind of embarrassing, bothered to look it up. So if you're like me, and you're like, I have no idea what a yoke is, don't worry, I've got you covered. I'm going to explain it to you. Um, a yoke is like this like wooden, I have to read it because I couldn't even fully remember it, Wooden beam that they use to attach like traditionally two oxen together to carry something, to pull something. So that they would be sharing the load and they'd be attached together doing it, pulling this load together. So now if we go into the MJV, which is the Madison Jordan version, I would like to read this verse. And so how I see it now, how I read it now is this. Anyone who is tired, exhausted, or burnt out, come to me and I will give you rest. Attach yourself to me and learn from me, for I am meek and you will find rest in me. For I will take your load and I will do the heavy lifting. And he's tying in the sense of rest and meekness And that's because, in all honesty, those that are the most tired, those that are the most exhausted, are angry. They can't find rest. They're carrying a bitterness. They're carrying an anger. They're carrying a resentment. It's like watching a kid throw a tantrum, you know? Like, they are stomping. They're using all their energy. They're screaming. They might be, like, running. They might be, like, throwing themselves on the floor. They're using all this energy because carrying that anger, carrying that annoyance that they have when they're throwing a tantrum. They have to expel their energy. And then once that tantrum's over, those kids have like the best naps you've ever seen in your whole entire life. Like they're out like a light. Why? Because anger is exhausting. Jesus says the key to rest is walking in meekness. Matthew 5.5 in the Living Bible says, the meek and lowly are fortunate, for the whole world belongs to them. By today's standard, we'd extremely highly disagree with this. We'd be thinking of people with a lot of money, a lot of power, a lot of resources, people like Jeffrey Bezos, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, people that have like all our social security information, things like that. We think that they are the people that the world belongs to. But Jesus is saying, not in my world, not in my kingdom. Matthew 5, 5 in the message says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Humanity often tries to buy itself into power, buy itself into position, buy itself into influence. But Jesus is saying that these places of power, these places of position, places of influence, actually belong to the meek. It's not the rich, not the affluent, not the powerful that inherit the earth, but the opposite, the meek, the humble, the lowly. It's counter-cultural. God is teaching that victory lies within meekness, that those that discover the power of meekness have victory, but they don't have power in and of itself. Meekness means accessing a different source of power. This is because Jesus loves to just flip everything upside down all the time. He loves speaking in paradox. He loves tearing down every single idea that we're like, this makes logical sense. And he's like, no, scrap that, start from the start. And so here's like just a short list of all of the very paradoxical teachings. That Jesus has in Matthew 19 30 it says but many who are the greatest now will be the least important then and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then Mark 8:35. if you try to hang on to your life you will lose it but if you give up your life for my sake and the sake of the good news you will save it Mark 9 35 he sat down called the 12 disciples over to him and said whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else Mark 10, 43 to 44, but among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Acts 20, 35, and I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. If you want the whole world, you have to go Meekness. So here's the thing we just read out that list. All of those don't sound that good to me. It sounds hard. I don't want to do it. Can I just get the rewards without having to do the hard work? Like, having to put myself last all the time doesn't come natural, doesn't seem like I want to do it. Having to think, oh, about others all the time, having to, I guess, Yeah, have this change in mindset, like wanting to be first place but taking last willingly, wanting to be served but having to serve, wanting to receive but having to give. It all seems really hard. Plus, isn't this like the opposite of what we're taught? Like you're taught to seize opportunities and things like that. Like when you're applying for a job, I'm not going to list meekness in my CV and my strengths and weaknesses. I'm going to pick things like... She's very time-efficient, and she's very this. I'm not going to say, guess what, guys, I'm really meek, so I think you should hire me because I'm meek, and no one else is be- they're meek. It's a good idea. But because God is God, and he likes to remind us of that all the time, he actually chooses meek people to be his leaders, to be people that we look up to in the Bible. Three of the greats, Abraham, Moses, and King David, I think, are really exemplary of this. Abraham was this man who um, out of like was called out of his home, called away from his family, called away from everything to just follow God's voice, follow his pursuit. He did all that, received um, and God's like, here's this great inheritance for you because you've been so obedient, because you've done this hard work. And what does Abraham do? He doesn't go, I deserve this. Thank you. He goes, to his nephew Lot, Lot, what of this reward do you want? I'll give that to you. And then I'll take what's left over. That's being meek. Moses was a baby born under persecution. He was a man that had a stutter and was quite um, embarrassed about it. He had all these things. He was a man that didn't have a connection with his roots. He was adopted by Egyptians when he was Hebrew, yet he was called as the deliverer. Of God's chosen people. He um, did all these amazing miracles. He asked, And that was all because he was meek. Because he asked God, I will do this if you partner with me. He knew he couldn't do it on his own. He needed God's help. That's being meek. I think King David is a great, great example of meekness. He was a humble shepherd boy turned giant slayer. And then Israel's greatest king. Yet. Yeah. I think his greatest achievement is being known as a man after God's own heart. That is being meek. And then, of course, we have Jesus, the meekest of all, who left his position, his power of being God, to come and take on human form and live the life that we live, live with our limitations willingly. This is because meekness is not weakness. Meekness is the evidence of God's power moving through you. This association that we have now of meekness being timid or fragile or frightful or even like lazy, that's not right. Meekness doesn't make you a doormat. It doesn't make you cowardly. It doesn't make you passive. Um, I decided to look at um, the Greek word for meekness. And it's this word, I had Evie try to teach it to me yesterday, because she knows ancient Greek, by the way, everyone. Um, And it didn't work out very well. She was kind of embarrassed. So I'm going to try my best. It's pronounced pros. Oh, she gave me a thumbs up. Um, (laughs) Anyways, um, and it's used to describe three different things. Because I think looking at the definition, it's better if you look at the way it's described to gain the definition. So here's the way it describes things. It's used to describe a soothing medicine. It's used to describe a gentle breeze. It's also used to describe a broken colt. All three of these things are describing great power under control. Medicine in a large dose can kill you. It can be lethal enough to hurt you. But when used in the correct amount, when used under control, it can heal you. When a wind is mighty and scary, it can wreck townships, it can wreck Boats can flip them over, things like that. It can do really scary and horrible things. But when used under control, it can do things like dry your washing. It can do things like, um, you can have fun like pushing a little boat down the river, things like that. Flying a kite. <laughs> when it's under control, it can be used as a um, useful, it can be helpful. It's because, and then when we get to biblical meekness, it's referring to us. Human beings exercising God's strength under his control. It kind of reminds me of um, being in high school and like there's just like fights that happen sometimes it's kind of embarrassing kind of loser because like they all suck at fighting. it's never like fun to watch because they're all doing this like they're not actually like come on like a controlled punch it's just like a throwing their arms like this, lifting their legs, just trying to do anything to hit the person in front of them. And there's this one fight i'm never ever ever gonna forget because it was it was actually kind of incredible um, and it was this young boy about fourteen years old and against this like seventeen year old boy this young boy with fourteen he was about my height um probably about like really skinny scrawny small kid he was fourteen and he was just like kind of mouthing off a little bit but that was because like he was like being what's it called like provoked so he was like Oh, Malvin off a little bit, things like that. So this older 17-year-old boy, he was a rower, lean, full of muscle, looked very athletic, like 6'2", towering over this kid. And everyone's watching, and we're like, oh, we're about to watch this little boy get really beat up. It's really sad. No one's doing anything to stop it because it's high school. So we're all just watching. (laughs) We're all just watching this fight. And what we don't know is that this younger kid, his stepdad, is a kickboxer. And who knows that that changes everything when you find out that this 14-year-old boy has been learning how to kickbox since he was seven years old. And so we're watching, and we're like, oh no, he's going to die, and it's going to be really sad. Um, And so we're watching him there, and then this big kid stands up, muscles up, and he just does the saddest punch. (laughs) Fully trying to get his head just like that. And the kid, the smaller kid lets him get about like one or two hits in, and then you just see him kind of go, okay, it's game time. And he goes five controlled punches of just like, boom, boom, a kick, and then two on the kid's way down, and just lays this kid out. He's a good foot taller than him, good like 20, 30 kgs heavier, and he's on the floor. (laughs) And we're all just like, Oh, my gosh. And everyone's yelling and screaming because it was like, oh, my gosh, that's so insane. Um, (laughs) And kids are terrible, and we thought it was really cool. Um, (laughs) But why? Why did this happen? Because this younger, weaker, and smaller kid knew how to control his power. He knew how to stand in the right posture. He knew where to plant his punches. He knew how much power to exert in each punch to get the result he wanted, he knew the power in each kick to get the result he wanted. He had power under control. The older kid, swinging his arms like crazy, using all of his energy to try and land one blow. But this younger kid, right stance, right amount of power exerted in each punch. He learned from his father, his stepfather, how to express his power under control. It's like back in that, um, back in the way that uh, the word praus was used to describe meekness. Um, the broken colt analogy, where it talks about um, a farmer when the cult is broke before the colt is broken, he's using wild stallions. They're not going to be helpful because they're independent. They're thinking on their own. They've got their own source of power and ability, and they're probably just going to wreck your farm instead of like help your farm because they just don't want to be tamed. They're fierce, independent, strong, powerful. It's running wild, it's useless to the farmer, and it will end up yet damaging the farm or other people that try to help with it. But when the cult is submitted to the farmer, it's been led for a purpose. Its power is under control, it's not running wild, and it's not hurting itself, and it's not hurting others. A tamed horse makes greater gains than a wild one. It's more productive, more profitable to use. It's still got strength. It's just surrendered strength. It still has power. It's just surrendered power. It's under the reins of the master. Often, I think we can be that horse. We can get out of control. We can be hurting ourselves and others around us. We can be hurting our environment. When we live under the reins of the master, we let the word of God tame us. It lets us be tame in our reactions and controlled in our response. And that's because meekness is the blend of exercising our gentleness and exercising our strength. In exercising our gentleness and our strength, we actually exercise surrender. Surrendering to a greater power, surrendering to a Holy Spirit, surrendering to the power of God. I think often when we read, The Beatitudes, we like to think of it more as like buffet-style dining rather than like a sit-down nine-course meal. We like to be like, that looks good, that looks good. Ooh, don't want that on my plate. Oh, yeah, I'll put this on my plate, this on my plate. And uh, I think I'm good for now. I might come back for seconds later and maybe take this and this, but otherwise I'll just keep eating what I like, and we'll see. Instead of concentrating on each Beatitude like it's a nine-course meal, we're sitting down, we're having our first course, you're focused on that meal. You're having to eat it. You're having to look at it. You're having to examine it. Next course comes. It's things that we work on consistently all the time, not just things that we look at and go, I guess this is good. I guess this is good. It's not like a whole, like, mambo number five number, you know, like a little bit of Monica in my life, a little bit of Erica by my side. Like, and then he ends the song saying, like, a little bit of you makes me your man. And it's like, no, it's not that way. We have to have all of them all the time. We have to be monogamous in our relationship with the Beatitudes. We have to have them all. This isn't, yeah, it's not buffet Beatitudes. They are attitudes that we must adopt in order to receive the blessings that it promises us. They change our lives. They're countercultural. And there's no greater power on earth than someone who has surrendered to God's power. No one stronger, no one mightier, no one more powerful, no one greater. That's because meekness is not weakness. It's the evidence of God's power moving through you. James 1.21 in New King James says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Or in the message it says, So throw all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. So now we get to the question. How do I nurture meekness in my life? How do I take care of my garden? As it said in the verse before. And there's three ways we can do that. The first is we have to be repentant. A repentant heart is a heart that apologizes. It says, I'm sorry. It's not all about me. It's about you, God. They acknowledge the wrong that they've done. The second thing that the repentant heart does is it acknowledges its need for God. God, I need you. I can't do this life without you. I've tried to do it on my own before. It sucks. I can't do it. I need your help. Another way that, pardon me, that we be repentant is a repentant heart exercises its strength in admitting its wrongs. And it asks for forgiveness not only on behalf of themselves, but on behalf of others. And the last thing a repentant heart does is it surrenders to God. The second thing we can do to nurture meekness is that we gotta be receptive. We need to listen to God's leading, listen to his word, and say yes. We have to be receptive to the words he's saying to us, the things he's saying. Meekness is the result of letting God's word shape us. It's like in the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it talks about having a gentleness to us. It talks about um, having, yeah, things that can line up with meekness. When we have those, we have meekness. When this is what the Word's telling us. We need to have this fruit come up in our lives. And the last thing that we can do to nurture meekness in our life is be responsive. The Bible says, faith without works is dead. It's not all about works. It's not all about faith. We've got to find that thing in the middle. We've got to find the ability to live a responsive life and acting on what we've heard. Living a responsive life also means surrendering your strength. We have to have a tender heart. Remember that gentleness. But we also have to have a thick skin and remember that strength. And then the last thing is that being responsive means living with nothing to prove and nothing to lose. God is in control. He's in control of my life yesterday, today, and forever. He's in control of the world. He is the final say. I'm not a doormat, I'm not timid, I'm just surrendered. But why? Cool, got all this stuff, this is how I love meek. Why do I want to do that? (laughs) It's hard, it seems not worth it, kind of doesn't sound good. But all beatitudes, like this one, comes with a blessing. And the reward for meekness is inheritance. We inherit the earth. So what does your inheritance look like? And I think it looks like Psalm 112. I'm going to be reading it out of the message today because I love the way it words it. In verses 1 to 2 it says, Hallelujah, blessed man, blessed woman, who fear God, who cherish and relish his commandments. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means to be in awe, be in submission to, to be surrendered, to be meek. Psalm 112 then goes through and lists all of our blessings that we get when we live like a meekness, when we live in a surrender, when we live in awe and submission to him. Here's some of them It says um, that we would have upright and plentiful homes, that our houses and our families would be healthy, that we would receive blessings of wealth and generosity, that we would experience God's grace and mercy and justice, and that we would hold a great reputation in our community. Then it continues in verses 6 to 8, and it says that these people would be unfazed by rumor and gossip, heart-ready, trusting in God, spirit-firm, unperturbed, ever-blessed, relaxed among their enemies. The psalm keeps on continuing, listing even more blessings about inheriting the ability to bless the poor, inheriting the ability to have a never-ending generosity inside of us and that we would live an honored and beautiful life. But I think what's most importantly is that we have this ability to live unfazed. We have this ability to live heart-ready, to live spirit-firm, and to live ever-blessed. This is your inheritance. If I could get the band up, they'll be cool. So, what do you inherit? Here's four things. We're going to break it down even more. The first is, you inherit an uncommon security. You're unfazed. Unfazed by rumor and gossip. How can you be so secure? How can you be so unfazed? Despite everything going on in your life, how do you do it? It's because I'm surrendered. God's in control. The world doesn't own me. Its opinions don't rule me. The criticism I face, the hurt I endure... The anger I have, it doesn't have a claim on me in my life. I'm secure in God. He has the final word. You inherit a higher perspective. Your heart is ready. You're unfazed. Your are heart ready. You won't be baited by anger. You trust in God. He's got you. doesn't matter about the debates, the drama, the whatever. You don't get dragged into it. I'm under the reins of the master and I'm under the reign of the king. I trust him. Proverbs 15, one says, a soft and gentle and thoughtful answer turns away wrath, but harsh and painful and careless words stir up anger. Every day I wake up, I put my trust in God. I have a higher perspective. You also inherit a supernatural power. Your spirit is firm. His spirit lives inside you, it guides you, it advocates for you, it helps you, it lights your path. Meekness is the home where God's provision operates. If you want to see God's provision in your life, you need to cultivate meekness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Or another translation puts it, my grace is always more than enough and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. Walk in meekness and God will supernaturally provide for you. And the last thing is that we inherit the whole world when we're surrendered, wherever list. The power of meekness is a countercultural idea. Even having power and meekness in the same word sounds a bit, same sentence is a bit of an oxymoron, you know, like it just doesn't seem to make sense. Here's this list that's been compiled of all the ways that the power of meekness can be used in our lives. These are things that they are, it asks of us to do. Speak as little as you possibly can about yourself. Keep busy with your own affairs, not those of others. Accept small irritations with good humor. Don't dwell on others' faults. Accept being forgotten and disregarded with ease. Be courteous and delicate even if others are trying to provoke you. Don't seek admiration from others. And always choose the more difficult task. A life of meekness is a life of God's power living through you. So we have to choose a more difficult path. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, every day. It will continue to be difficult like it was yesterday, like it is today, like it will be tomorrow. But we must remember that living a life of meekness now isn't for our life here, it's for the life to come. Meekness means becoming proud owners of everything that can't be brought, temporary pain for long-term gain, Temporary suffering suffering for eternal blessings. More meekness means more power. And it's difficult living this life that Christ asks of us on our own. And that is why having that power of meekness isn't weakness. It means that we have God's power moving through us. It's evident. So I'd love if everyone would just stand up in your spot, close your eyes, and spend A little bit of time to reflect. I don't know about you, but I've been really tired this year. It's been really hard. This year hasn't been what I expected it to be at all. And I've kind of been fighting this battle for a long time. It feels like forever. And it's been really, really tiring. And I'm just in desperate need of some rest right now. And also, the path to receiving that rest is a difficult one, too. Because I have to get over my pride, and I have to humble myself, and I have to say, I can't do it on my own. I have to say, God, I need you now more than ever. I need to surrender to you, and getting to that place is really, really difficult. I don't like admitting that I, don't, that I need help. I don't like that I, admitting that I'm weak. I don't like getting over my pride. It's really hard. But every single time I've got into that place and I've asked God to supply me with his power, to supply me with his energy, to supply me with whatever I need, it's so much easier. Those have been the only times in these past few months where life hasn't felt impossible. So I would love if the band would just play and sing, and what we're going to do is, I'm going to give you the opportunity, as well as myself right now, to surrender and take on meekness right here, right now. The band will sing in some time, and I'm going to be standing right up here at the front, and if you want to, and you need to lay some things out, you can too, and yeah, I need a, yeah, I've gotten into a place, I'm trying to do things on my own, and I can't do it on my own anymore. I need to surrender to his power, and I'm tired, and I just want to rest in his presence this morning. So if that's you, they're going to play and sing, and I want you to join me in laying everything out today, asking God for rest, asking God for energy, asking God for strength, asking God for power, for whatever it is. Let's not waste time. Let's cultivate meekness. Right now, come together, have a repentant heart, a receptive spirit and a responsive life. So join me if you like. I'll be down the front.
1: All will be
0: added See first the kingdom and all will be added Ask and he will. Ask and he will. Whatever it is you need right now, He can supply. He has more than enough grace. He has more than enough mercy. He has more than enough power to share with each and every single one of us. So God, I just pray as we go on from here, as we go on into our week, we'd remember to have a repentant heart. We'd remember to have a receptive spirit. And our lives would be ones of response, Father. I thank you for every single person in this room. I thank you that you're touching their hearts right now, that you're speaking to them right now, that they're repenting right now, that their um, spirits are being receptive of what you said, and that their lives are going to reflect as responsive ones. I thank you for this inheritance you've given us, God, that we'll be um, unfazed, heart-ready, spirit-firm, and ever-blessed. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.
1: So good be I love that. Meekness is strength, surrendered strength or strength under control. And my prayer for you this week is that the strength, the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives and abides within you, that as you enter this week in meekness and surrendered, that that, that power would be directed in such great intensity into Into every right place in your world that you would see breakthrough happen, left, right, and center. And um, it's certainly something that I'm trying to learn uh, this year. You know, church has not gone the way that I thought it would. And I get that we've had two really hard years, and people are all, some people's emotions are all over the place, and mine have been too. But I just think we've just got to surrender, we're trying to fix things ourselves. And I just feel like God's been telling me for the last probably six, eight weeks, just relax, surrender all of your energy, and let me direct you into the right places. And then it's just, it's just put such a rest to my life, and I, and I believe that He can do that for you too. Hey, so cool that you hung out with us this morning. We'd love you to hang out with us in the foyer and have coffee and talk to people and get to know people. And Especially if you're new, fill out that Live Connected card and drop it in and you get free coffee. But otherwise, we'll see you all next Sunday for the next one, which is Those That Hunger and Thirst for Righteousness Shall Be Filled. And it's going to be a great Sunday. Have an awesome week. And uh, make sure you let Maddie Maddie know how much you appreciate it what she shared this morning. That would be cool. Otherwise, we'll see you all next Sunday. God bless.